you're also reminded of the reality of boxing that in general, rich kids don't fight. You know what I mean? Like you could play other sports as a successful individual, but very rarely do you see the people of affluent background come into fighting sports. It's usually people that come from damn near nothing or come from a very difficult situation. And I think that sometimes gets overshadowed by the fanfare and the fun. You know what I mean? Floyd Mayweather comes from absolutely nothing. You know, Canelo doesn't come from a very rich background at all. He comes from people that are struggling, trying to make ends meet has like how many eight brothers and sisters or something like exactly. that. So it's, it's a lot. The, the, the people that participate in this sport, the people that individuals love, that's the one thing that I'm always reminded that makes it a little bit sad that most of the people didn't have a childhood. Welcome to the RBR Recap, a special edition presented by Round by Round Boxing. I'm Alex Burgos, joined today by a very special guest, hip-hop legend Felipe Coronel, a.k.a. Immortal Technique. How are you, sir? I'm good, brother. I'm doing good. Um, just working on some new music, new material. I'm doing um, some festivals this summer, and I'm just looking to do uh, you know, some more stuff in the upcoming uh in the upcoming year so thanks for joining us giving us some of your time i know you're a busy man and uh like we were just speaking about as well getting back into the groove and doing the festivals and whatnot and and what people are most anticipating from you is is new music as well but um we definitely want to chop it up and talk some boxing first so sure. we exchange a couple messages on saturday night after the incredible katie taylor amanda serrano fight you were there live at msg right mm -hmm. yeah so Talk to us. There was, you know, multiple fights on that card, but let's start from the top and go to the bottom. Um, the Katie Taylor um, versus Amanda Serrano fight. I mean, what were your thoughts, not only of the fight, but just the whole atmosphere, the Irish, the Puerto Ricans, everything? Well, I will say this, that the, the audience was very respectful to each other. And I found that to be, uh, that was really inspiring. There was no, I didn't see like brawls spilling out left and right, the way people were characterizing. For the most part, the Irish fans and the people that I was around, because I was in a big section of mixed people, uh, they were very split. A lot of them thought that uh, there was at least a tie. Um, so I think that there was no there was no hatred because after the fight, whenever the Puerto Ricans said, yo, we think Amanda won, the Irish people would be like, well, we thought it was a tie. And what could mm -hmm. you say? It, it's a very close fight. Um, I've learned this in my experience dealing with boxing and the comments and in the conversations with people that you can have nine times out of 10 correct opinions. But if you have one that disagrees with somebody's favorite fighter, all of a sudden you don't know shit about boxing. <laughs> so what I'm here to tell people is I'm not an expert on anything. I'm just a guy who loves boxing, who's been to a lot of fights, who goes to a lot of um, sporting events in general, but I definitely go to a lot more fights than anything else, whether it's UFC or boxing. Um, I definitely go to the garden on a regular basis to try to see fights and not just like the big name ones. I went to go see like a uh, Derevchenko versus Triple G. Um, but I was there at some large fights, like the time when Andy Ruiz um, beat Anthony Joshua for um, all of his titles. And it was crazy. There was an, an essay at the bar when I was there and he was buying drinks for literally everyone that came by and they were like, what happened? And he said, this guy bet a hundred 
on Andy Ruiz. And I was mm. like, a hundred? And he goes, no, no, no. A hundred thousand dollars is what he bet on Andy Ruiz. And the odds were 17 to one. Yeah. So he walked that day with probably 1.5, 1.6 million dollars. Wow. And he was just celebrating. It, it, you see that kind of wild atmosphere, but you're also reminded of the reality of boxing that in general, rich kids don't fight. You know what I mean? Like you could play other sports as a successful individual, but very rarely do you see the people of affluent background come into fighting sports. It's usually people that come from damn near nothing or come from a very difficult situation. And I think that sometimes gets overshadowed by the fanfare and the fun. You know what I mean? Right. Floyd Mayweather comes from absolutely nothing. You know, Canelo doesn't come from a very rich background at all. He comes from people that are struggling, trying to make ends meet has like how many eight brothers and sisters or something like exactly. that. So it's, it's a lot. The, the, the people that participate in this sport, the people that individuals love, that's the one thing that I'm always reminded that makes it a little bit sad that most of the people didn't have a childhood. They didn't get to experience a lot of the fun that you and me had. Like, oh, I'm going to go out with my dad and throw a ball around. It was like, no, my dad was telling me, punch low, duck right, hit him with the counter and screaming at me. You know what I mean? Right. You also see a lot of that in boxing. You see a lot of father and son duos. You see a lot of people that, you know, they don't trust the upbringing of their child to a trainer. So they're like, no, I want to be personally involved. And you know what I mean? Those are those are really interesting things that I, I've just noticed in in, in the, the, the outside realm of the game but that still affects things in it definitely yeah you touched on a lot of important things i think um one thing you hit the nail on the head is the storylines of boxing that can just draw people in you know claressa shields is always one example i like to give a, a girl from uh, flint michigan you know right. you could be from west virginia you could be from el salvador you could be, and be like you know she went through that whole water crisis she went through you know you could relate to different things on different levels with different people all throughout the world and fighters like you said yeah. having to I get up and you don't play boxing you know what i mean like the eight old age old adage I think that's a perfect example. You find people like Clarissa Shields who are criminally underrated, who won gold twice for the country, who unified in multiple weight divisions. But that's the kind of story that we also see in a lot of other people that come up, like a, a friend of mine, um, Murray, who I know from Ireland. It was his grandfather who, who had converted the boathouse into a, a boxing gym for Katie Taylor. And you realize how small the community is, how small the country of Ireland is. And it's right. funny because, you know, as a Latino, everyone expected me to root for Amanda Serrano. And I'll be honest, I had a little bit of bias because I heard her story. I really <laughs> loved it. Here was yeah. a girl who was getting, again, criminally underpaid, right? Who was not getting the love and support that she should have been, who then had an opportunity to show and prove and did so masterfully and, and really went above and beyond and gave gave her heart to it. So it was interesting. I've been to Ireland like a dozen times. I've been to Puerto Rico like twice. So mm -hmm. it's no, there's no shade. There's no hate. I, I wanted to see a great fight. And I think when people approach things that way, instead of being so invested in one fighter that it's like, okay, even if, you know what I mean? He loses, I'm fuck the other person. Like that's right. not, that's not what we're doing here. It's about to see who's the best that day. And ironically, whenever I hear boxers that lose that are humble in defeat, like, that's what boxing fans really respect. Boxing fans don't respect excuses and horseshit and, oh, man, you know what I mean? I was drinking the night before. Fight fans don't want to hear that. <laughs> right. They don't want to hear that. We were drinking the night before. You should have been in bed asleep, <laughs> motherfucker. We were ready right. for you. 
We, we, we spent money to see you. You need yeah. to be in bed by eight o'clock and then up at six, ready to go. So, I mean, I think that's the, the, the nature of, of kind of the, the emotion around it. Yeah. And I, I think you hit another good point too. Um, I think when you're a fan and you, you look at it from a perspective of let's see who's the best uh, fighter, man, woman, whatever, but right. don't get locked into the cultural aspect of it necessarily. <laughs> Obviously, you know, I'm Peruvian and Salvadorian. If I see a Peruvian boxer, cause we don't have many, you know, but when he's out there, he's like soft spot in my heart, obviously. But you know, when right. you're looking at it just as competition, but if he gets let's, washed, he gets washed. exactly. Let's, let's see, let's game, see who, who's the best. So, I mean, I think when you look at it from that perspective and oftentimes people, and you'll see the comments, I'm sure you've seen them on the RBR page and whatnot. I mean, people just go in, it's like a race war just because you gave the right, example right. of Shakur Stevenson and Oscar Valdez. It shouldn't be like that, man. Let's just see who has a better skill. Let's put it to the test. And then both men come out with mutual appreciation. You know, when you when you scrap with somebody and it doesn't even have to be in front of cameras or anything, if it's a fair one, you have mutual respect when it's over because, you know, you've gone you've you've gone into battle with that person. And so um, I, so, I love that aspect about boxing. But no, you bring up an excellent point. And I was just going to say, look, there's always going to be bias in boxing. But mm -hmm. one thing that speaks to the soul of human beings, and maybe this is talking to the worst part of us, is something you just brought up that whenever there is a fight that is across racial lines, it tends to sell more. It tends to give more to people in some way, shape or form, some form of conflict that they're, I guess, not able to have, or we don't want to see a race war. We'd right. much rather see two people beat each other up and then everyone just go home and be like, okay, this is stupid. <laughs> but I think that that brings out something important. There's always going to be some kind of bias. I think in boxing, that's where you have the ability to say, okay, this isn't about anybody's anything. Everybody came from a hard place, right? right? Everybody got their own story, right? Did you train hard, right? Were you in camp before the fight? That's another thing. Like when people criticize Mayweather, I always say, listen, you know, what was his mantra? Hard work, dedication. Dedication. Stayed in camp all the time. Sure, you could make criticism of his selections, selective retirement, but even when he was retired, he was training as if he was still a champion. And I think that is important to note for people that are coming up now in the game. Like you don't have the opportunity to just fuck off time and do anything else. Unlike an artist like myself, I can make a comeback. I can come on tour again. I'm right. gonna do a bunch of festivals in the summertime, right? A 43 year old Mayweather come, can't come back and compete at the same level that you know like he can't fight at 147 or 154 with anybody who's there right now which were the last two weight classes that he really played with so yeah. at some point the boxer's life is much shorter in its span very very short half-life for you as a boxer you want to be able to take advantage of that completely and that's why i think the, the the people i've seen that have had the most success are the ones that stayed in camp in between fights who at least maintain that kind of you know, work ethic for themselves. But again, going back to your other point, yeah, it, it, it's just a way of selling the fight. You know what right. I mean? You want two giant groups of people there who are diametrically opposed and it makes for good TV. The problem is that you're right. It does carry over and people say horrifically ignorant things in the comments or they start making up stuff about certain fighters or this is how they are. Or this is no, bro. Everybody comes from dirt and they're right. just trying to get the fuck out of it, whether they're 
from Mexico or whether they came from Africa or whether they're African-American growing up in a ghetto or in Europe in some really difficult place where there's not running water in a former Soviet Republic. Like, come on. Exactly. And actually, that's why I really like what happened after the Serrano, um, you know, post-fight interview. She had the opportunity to bitch and complain like many fighters we've seen in the past. But she said, you know what? We leveled up women's boxing, women's sports in general, and we showed that we can pack a house. You know, she saw the positive in what had happened in that fight, even if she didn't get the nod, which I thought she, she could have got the decision, could have been a draw. And but it's one of those fights and it kind of builds, you know, the opportunity to do something else. And she's probably looking at it from the perspective of, wow, how far have I come? I can't even complain. And, you know, a lot of times people don't take that opportunity to sit back and say, you know what, I'm appreciative of what happened, even if I didn't get the win. So I really liked how both women spoke after the fight. I thought it was, it was, it did justice and it surpassed everyone's, um, you know, expectations, even just going into the fight. We thought it was going to be a good fight. Ended up being like a great fight. Legendary. Um, I mean, I think, I think one of the funny things is I heard an interview randomly with Eddie Hearn and someone was very honest with him and they said, Hey man, you know, a few years ago, you weren't about women's fighting. Now what's changed? And, you know, he, he's, he lies a lot, but in this case, he was being truthful. He said, you know, the money, the interest, that's what's changed. There's now people that want to see this, that the ladies have shown improved so much that you can't say it's going to be like windmill fighting. Or, no, these, right. these ladies are coming in with real boxing skills that have been honed over multiple weight classes or they're Olympic champions. They've achieved something that other people in their sport haven't. You know what I mean? I don't yeah. know anyone uh, besides, let's say, Manny Pacquiao, who has eight world divisions. Amanda Serrano has seven. That's mm-hmm. one away. If she had won uh, 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 a couple of days ago, she would have tied Manny Pacquiao. That in itself is crazy. No one's right. talking about that. You know, let's yeah, say exactly. she does win the rematch. She'll, she'll now tie Pacquiao for having eight divisions of world champions, which is incredibly difficult for people to to realize the weight fluctuations. And also something I noticed about Serrano is that she goes up and then comes back down. Well, that's what I was going to say, the challenge on your body to have to do that as well. And she carries her power in multiple divisions. I mean, it's just athletically, when you look at it, it's incredible. And I think also, you know, they showed and proved that there's levels also, you know, I, I'm not a big proponent of when people just argue the fact that, well, because I'm a woman athlete, I deserve the pay that a man deserves. We got to look at it from an economic perspective as well. You know, if you're not bringing, but these two women, like you said, Olympics, they have the pedigree, they brought in the crowd. So there's, and Eddie Hearn is going to say it now. Oh, okay. Well now there's a demand for it. Now we can, you know, charge the ticket sales and, and then they're going to, they should reap the benefits for that. And, and I think they have, they waited the perfect amount of time. Taylor got paid. Serrano got paid. They they performed exceptionally. And, and I think that goes to show like you can't just champion the cause and be like, because I'm here, I deserve it. Like, no, you have to work towards a level to get to there. Right. So, you know, give give the, the paying customer something that they want to see, I guess, is what I'm saying. No, definitely. I mean, I think I think there's also the idea of that fight that. Um, is something else that everyone's talking about where these were the two people that were number one, number two. Exactly. And they found a way to fight, which is something like, look, I I was up on Errol Spence when he was fighting on Mayweather undercards mm-hmm. and they had to say his name twice. That's how you know you made it in boxing. I see right. Mayweather, you saw, you saw, you see his first <laughs> fights, like where he's fighting like Shambra Mitchell when he's like pretty boy Floyd and they say, no, announcing Floyd Mayweather. 
Mayweather. Maybe they say it like two or three times. <laughs> right. You get to the point where you're such a star. They don't have to say your name twice. Nope. You're just there. I've seen Errol Spence fight since they had this. Errol Spence. Spence. In the house. Spence. <laughs> like, you know, and there's like 700 people there. Right. I really, I would love to see that fight. Um, a lot of my friends give Crawford the edge. I think for whatever reason, I've watched Spence so long that I, I give him a slight edge. Um, I feel like um, he's just had a, a, a wider resume of people. I take nothing away from Bud. I still think he's on uh, a top three pound for pound. Mm -hmm. I would really like to see that fight. Again, to me, it's a 50-50 fight, maybe because I've just watched Errol Spence uh, a little bit more. And the same way, like the first fighter I think I've I seen when I came to this country um, was uh, Sugar Ray Leonard. Mm -hmm. So that was one of the first boxes that I really watched. And he had that kind of incredible hook speed that I see Terrence Crawford have. But I do see the kind of very methodical way that Spence goes about things. It's kind of taking a person apart. And you see what happened in the last fight. Everybody was saying, oh, what if Ugas targets his eye that was hurt? And right. that's what Spence did. He targeted Ugas's eye and got him out of there. So I think it's it's a it's a great fight. I would love to see more of that. And I think that's what attracted people to Katie Taylor Serrano, not just that it was a historic fight or whatever, but that it was also number one and number two, which is what people want in the heavyweight division. They want in the welterweight. You know, we don't know. Yeah, we want a clear champion no matter what division it is. Right. Yeah. Um, let's talk about one other fight on that card, though. The Liam Smith and, and Jesse Vargas fight um, that there was a lot of pre-fight banter and back and forth. And, you know, it, it ended up being a one sided beatdown. I mean, Liam Smith, uh, I, I think that Canelo victory over Smith years ago is aging really nicely just because what Smith has been able to do since. And what was the atmosphere in the, the arena for you? I mean, what would you think of that fight? Well, um, I came in the fight right before that one, okay. to be honest. So I caught that pretty much the, the Liam Smith Vargas fight in all of its entirety. Vargas has had a pretty tough time. Um, he recently lost a decision to Mikey Garcia, who was coming up from 140 to fight him at 147. After he lost at 147, he moved up to 154. I don't think he carried the power from 147 up to someone that, that boxes at 154. Yeah. So I think, he has some some thinking to do. Um, I know that Spence doesn't, after the Crawford fight, he's not going to have too much more time in the welterweight division. So if that fight gets made, I know that they, everybody wants to move up. Um, there's a chance that Jesse Vargas could stick around, maybe pick up a 147 belt when they get thrown out, but mm -hmm. he's going to have to fight some really tough people at 147, a very young uh, Boots Ennis, you know, uh, Thurman is back. If he can prove himself against one of those people, like if he comes back to 147, because I don't think he should fight at 154 anymore. Yeah. I think if he comes back to 147, I think a good fight to maybe see if he really wants to do this is Keith Thurman. Keith Thurman is looking for a real 140. I know he wants a champion, mm -hmm. right? But he's not going to get the winner of of Crawford Spence. They're going to move up after that probably. Right. So I think he he gets a regular fight or he comes back or maybe Thurman is too much for him since we saw uh, his his kind of on point um, surgical strikes against Mario Barrios, who, who I don't take nothing away from. He fights with a lot of heart, but Thurman came with that experience. So maybe that's too much for Vargas. But I think Vargas needs to go back down to, to 147. As for 
you know, that's there are a lot of people telling him to retire, but I right. would never tell a fighter that. That's up to him. That's really up to him and his family. And let me well, he's got a lot going on too with the politics. You know, he's running uh, in Las Vegas for I think mayor. I mean, it's like too many. Too you much. know, yeah, too much going be, on. Yeah. Too much. You know, if you're going to run for mayor and you want to train, and no, dude, you can't. Be and mayor. you're moving up to a uh, weight class that's not natural up to, to you. Fight a bigger, a naturally bigger person who's comfortable at that weight. Who doesn't have to put pack on pounds for it? Yeah, it's gonna be hard. It 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 kind of reminds us of what we have in store for Canelo and Triple G. Is Triple G gonna be comfortable? Who's campaigned at 160 his entire life right. and never moved up to 168? Is he gonna be comfortable carrying that extra pounds of muscle that everyone says drains all the oxygen in the world? That's exactly. true. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a, a lot of uh, ins and outs we got to look at in that fight. But yeah, with Jesse Vargas, um, I thought we, we do a little um, boxing betting podcast as well on the side, another show. But yeah, we, we talked pre-fight to that one. The odds for a Liam Smith stoppage, you know, even though Jesse Vargas had never been stopped before, it was about plus 180. So it was plus money on Smith stopping him. Um, I thought that was the bet. That's what I bet on <laughs> because I, I didn't think he could take the punches. And I mean, he's tough as nails. Obviously, he didn't want to stop, but they sa saved him from himself. And I thought it was a good Good stoppage. Steve Willis is a beast. He's a great referee. Uh, also, hat tip to uh, Jerron Boutsenis that you mentioned as well. One of my favorite up-and-comers in the game. He's going to be a problem for excited. anyone at 147. Very excited to see him fight. As a matter of fact, I think him and Thurman is a mm. great fight to make. Yep. If yep. Thurman really expects to come back, then he's got to show out to that. But I know that's not what Thurman wants. I know no. Thurman... He took a tune-up so he could get himself the biggest name, not so he could be the gatekeeper or the stepping stone. But again, 100%. some of these fights need to be made regardless of whether people want them or not. People want to see them. You know, I think um, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens after Canelo uh, wins or loses against B-Ball this weekend. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, my, my friend, my good friend Vinny Paz has a, a, a boxing podcast and he's ruthless on the people. So whenever... I want to hear the fighters get ripped apart. I'll call him and be like, hey, man, <laughs> what do you think is really good? Oh, this guy is going to get demolished. You know, he's, yeah. he's typically right. Well, but it's funny because actually my uh, dream roundtable would be you, Vinny, and R.A., um, you know, I'll, I'll moderate and it'll be the, the three of y'all just chopping it up and talking boxing, man. That would be incredible. Um, but yeah, no, Vinny, Vinny's a good dude. He knows his boxing and as well. And that's shout out to Jenna Mind Tricks and Vinny Paz as well. Um, I, I want to ask you too, because there's always been this historic like relationship, I think, with hip hop and boxing. Um, I remember as a kid, one of the kind of like those uh, staple moments in my mind is when Mike Tyson came back and he fought Peter McNeely uh, and he comes out to Redman's time for some action time time for some time for, and you know he's just tunnel vision walking for like four minutes and that thing is on loop time for some action it's one of the most iconic things um, but I want to ask you if you could walk anyone out to a ring dead or alive any boxer who would it be man who would who would bring the energy that could match mortal technique <laughs> it's funny because some 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 fighters have come out to music of mine before. Mm -hmm. It's just that like it wasn't in let's say boxing for example. Okay. Like uh, for who's a big fan of mine? Okay, um, for the people that love MMA mm -hmm. and know the history. So um, when Rashad Evans came out and knocked out Tito Ortiz, he walked out to the point of no return. I was gonna say point of no return's got to be one that. <laughs> this is the song that's off. Of uh, Revolutionary Volume Two, yep. and he he really 
came out and he said that song energized him and, and showed him so much love. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of boxers. I, it, it's not that I, I wouldn't walk them out. It mm -hmm. would just have to be the right song, maybe something new from the record. But I, I, I definitely, I'm a, I'm a big supporter of a lot of these new guys that are, that are not new guys, but guys that are finally getting their, their shine. Mm -hmm. um, because by no means is anybody new in the game. Most people have a pretty deep amateur resume, even right. the individuals that only have like 40 or 50 fights. That's 40 or 50 fights, dude. It's still a lot. But you would think a person with a deep amateur record, you're talking about 100, 200 fights. There are some people that have 300 fights on an amateur record. So right. I think that's what is deceptive about people's records. I think in general, people's records don't tell you um, everything about who they are as a fighter they just give you basic statistics you know what i mean right i think that a random person is going to come out with that kind of heart or if you implement something like let's say the uh oh the the greatest upset in boxing um when mike tyson was uh was knocked out mm -hmm. and i think one of the incredible things that i take from that is when I saw Buster Douglas's story and I saw that his mother had died while he was in camp and that he was not allowed to go to the funeral and whatever, he had such rage, such anger. And I, I heard a story, I don't know if it's true. They say when he won the championship, he just went to his mother's grave and just cried and was just heartbroken. And, and he, he was after that, he didn't, you know what I mean? It's hard to care about some stuff. Yeah, man. I mean, it's incredible how he was able to channel that. And I'll give you an example. The, the co-main that was supposed to be for Canelo this weekend, um, Ergovich, his father just died and he pulled out. They said he couldn't concentrate in camp. His father just died, I think, um, in March. And he tried to go through the training, but just an example. Yeah. Imagine how much Buster Douglas had. I mean, you're, you're fighting the baddest man on the planet, Mike Tyson, and not to uh, demean Ergovich for, for, for backing out, but yeah, everyone handles it differently, but it just shows you how incredible that, that whole time frame was the ability to win, get knocked down, come back and beat Mike Tyson. I mean, Douglas is incredible. That those are, those are those rare occurrences where mm -hmm. you have somebody that's motivated by not just money, or, or by something else, but motivated by some deep-seated pain and suffering inside of them. They, they feel like they just have to let go. And those are the type of fights that we see when we have rivalries, right? That's why people love rivalries. Right. They figure they're going to get something that they normally don't get from the fighter, mm -hmm. right? That's why people, like, build up number three, number four. They figure they're going to get, and most of the times, they do. Look at right. uh, Pacquiao and Marquez. Oh man, it's gonna just be another fight. No, it, it finally came to a head. You right. know, the first knockdown, uh, Juan Manuel Marquez cut him. And then, you know what I mean? We saw a few rounds later, he put him to sleep. I mean, that's what we're waiting to see. We're waiting to see those rivalries where a person is fed up with a split decision, fed up with this person getting over on them. And it's just boom. Or, you know, just it being so close that it, it could go either way. Yeah, 100%. I got to ask you one thing, too, that's now obviously been in the media outside of just boxing. We had this incredible event with women headlining for the first time at MSG. Um, you know, a huge event, exceeded expectations. And then on the back of that, we get the Roe versus Wade uh, thing now. And it's just like almost like, man, like women, you know, had this whole big thing. But then it just puts things into perspective um society you know wise i mean what are your thoughts on that i mean just just what it says about you know sports in general and then just right. culture and and just the environment all, that we live in i know boxing fans hate politics and it's mostly because they 
very a lot of them really uh, uh, appreciate the fact that in of course there are politics in boxing. Let's not get that twisted. But <laughs> I guess the whole idea of a person just being in the ring by themselves and having to handle it rather than maneuvering around everything. But I will say this: I think that um, for a long time I've seen the idea that um, church and state should be divided uh, for the benefit of the state not being corrupted by the church. But I'll take it a step farther. I don't think that church and state should be unified, but I think that it's for a different reason. It's because it's not that the, <laughs> it's not that the church just corrupts the government. It's the government that corrupts the church that is already corrupt. So all of a sudden, this is not our war. This is God's war, right? It's not the law that I'm telling you. I'm restricting your reproductive rights. Now I get to hide behind God. And I think that we can have a conversation about the failure of liberalism or what people think is politics moving so far to the left. But I think that those people are confused because in their rudimentary understanding of history, they never factored in the most important event of the 21st century, which came upon us. And that was 9-11, when all politics in America moved drastically to the right. And I don't care if you like boxing or like me, that's the God's honest truth. All mm -hmm. of the... YouTube right-wing grifters wouldn't exist without 9-11. You wouldn't have the fear-mongering. You know, now they get to hide behind Mr. Trump and say they, they're an anti-war party. Absolutely not. These people rub their pussy to dead children for the better part of decades. And the neoliberals and the Democrats, if you want me to be honest and speak to the heart, haven't done any better. They've continued the Bush doctrine, which is overthrowing countries that don't agree with our hegemonic view of the region in the Middle East. But these weren't just random countries. These were countries that bid, did business selectively with Russia. That shows you the Cold War never ended. The, the Russians couldn't give up Assad. He was their last link in the Middle East. Saddam Hussein, although he was with the United States, was part of the original Ba'athists. What are the Ba'athists? That's what's left over from the Arab communists that survived the era of Nasser. These are people who saw what the United States and England did when they carved up uh, the Middle East after World War I. These countries are just as invented if not the way that any country is invented, people deciding that they're going to draw lines here. So, you know, we can go to any aspect of politics and I'm comfortable talking about it. I think banning abortions in general, where, where you're talking about endos endo uh, um, endoscopic pregnancies, you're talking about um, these things that they want to criminalize that the, the embryo will never become a fetus, you know, in cases of rape and molestation where they make no exception. I think that's unfortunately what's going to bring uh, uh, that campaign down. But I think that it's an interesting time to bring it all up. And people know that I've always been a big supporter of, uh, of women's reproductive rights. I just think it comes at a very curious time. It's going to take news media away from the Ukraine, away from COVID. They're going to focus on this. It's also a much better platform, if you want me to discuss this in, in length, about uh, a it's a much better platform for the Democrats to run on in, in uh, 2022 and 2024 than COVID or the Ukraine or whatever corruption was there with Mr. Trump or Biden's son. Or These things are muddy, whereas this is very plain and clear. The, mm -hmm. the Democrats 
uh, are going to pin the Republicans to the position that they want to control women's rights. And therefore, because they've never uh, really codified it the way they could have when they had the presidency, they had the Senate, when they had the Congress. Um, and in many ways, a lot of progressive people have always felt that the Democratic Party kind of hangs abortion rights over their head as a way to right. get them to vote. Because in many ways, while the difference between the, the Democratic and the Republican Party isn't as noticeable when you talk about corporate funding, yes, that's where they're very much the same. Where they are different is this. The Democratic Party pushes and exists as a platform to push hardest against the left part of it. So when people call them communists, I start laughing like Mr. Biden, the communist. Right. Yeah. One point one percent, two percent in your trillion dollar budget for infrastructure. Oh, yeah. He's fucking Stalin. What's wrong <laughs> with you? people? You can't advertise yourself as an intellectual and come up with these bullshit hot takes. You know what I mean? You might as well just be in your pickup truck, you know, uh, uh, like on your phone screaming about freedom. What is freedom? The, the reality is that we've dealt with um, something that whether we, we look at encringements uh, uh, on, on freedom or whether we look at freedom of speech, the, the first reality that this country faced is that we were all forced, forced to go to war against a country we knew had nothing to do with 9-11. Mm -hmm. That's how this really started in the modern era, right? Then little by little, like I said, Mr. Obama continued the, uh, the overthrow of other countries that were in the region, whether it was Tunisia, um, Egypt had a... Um, had a, an election, then they decided to depose the people who got elected. Um, they tried to overthrow Assad, obviously that didn't work. Um, but I think that it's, it's a very, very complicated situation. Iraq is still in shambles. So quite frankly, they, they managed both of these parties to destroy the Middle East um, and anywhere that they touted to bring freedom. Um, and now we're going to have an inner conflict in the United States over this particular issue. Now, you understand my position, but I, I say to the people who don't agree with me or who, love, who, who are coming from like the I love America so much that I'm not willing to look at its false party. Um, just remember this. When I ask the, the people, especially my conservative uh, family members, I say, do you think that, that America can beat China in a war? And they say, yeah, uh, after this, we, I think we could beat Russia, but I don't know, China's a tough one, but I think we can win. And I say, do you think that half America could beat all of Russia or all of China? Because that's what you're really gonna be left with. Mm -hmm. If the United States does have a civil war, the only benefactors will be Russia and China. They will be the people that direct and dictate policy in all of those regions that we try to control so much. And it's sad, but I think most people that are grownups and don't believe in the political tooth fairy anymore know that we don't interfere in places because we think it's cute or cool or because we care about human rights, but there is something that we have to gain. There's some resource. And that's what most of these wars are over. They're over resources. This is different than boxing history, man. I think the the beautiful thing about what I love about these combat sports is that in that sense, it's the most simple thing in the world, right? You remove who did this, who did that, who was here at this year, who was that, and you just have two people fight. And it's the most basic shit in the world. A mm -hmm. person wins or a person loses. And that's it. And I've seen a lot of bad decisions in my life. Um, but I think this one with Katie Taylor and Serrano, well, if we can take it all the way back, um, I think it could have gone either way, but I, I don't think it, it was like criminal. You know what I mean? I think definitely Agreed. that she could have got the tie. Um, I, I, I definitely thought the fight was a tie. 
um, she definitely hurt her in the fifth round. And then Katie came back and just kind of boxed for the rest of the time, pot shotting for like at least two rounds. Um, and you got to see kind of the 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 real ring IQ of both of them in that sense, that they knew when to come forward, when to come back. Maybe, you know, if there's one criticism I can make is that, man, when Amanda had her hurt, she should have just kept, like, given. And I think she probably did, though, because she was I, out of breath. I think she threw herself out. I mean, she threw over 100 punches that round, which was, like, double more than any of the other rounds by either fighter. So... I, I think she tried, but and that may have that may have been to her detriment because I think yeah. who th- who would have thought that Taylor would have come back in seven eight nine and been able to box her like that effectively counter punch. It, it, it's yeah, just that's, that's why that's the fight why is I so thought, good. That's why I thought that hey man, she's very lucky that they decided to do two minute rounds. I yep. don't think three minute rounds would have favored uh, Katie Taylor. I yeah, think she would have been gone. That, yeah, she wouldn't have that lasted. had a lot more. That's, I think Serrano had, had a little bit more in the gas tank, but you're right. She might have spent a lot of it in the fifth when she went all in. Yeah. Um, but uh, you said a lot of good stuff, man. I know we could do two hours of a, of a political podcast, man. And I'd love to talk about that. But I want to transition a little bit and give you a moment to speak to our viewers uh, about the Rebel Army runs. And it's something that I've donated to, uh, donated to in the GoFundMe. And I think it's an incredible thing that uh, you're doing in the community. So I wanted you to speak a little bit about that uh, and just educate our listeners. Um, well, it's kind of difficult. I had a lot of people and friends that died during this particular period of time. Um, and it was very sad because I remember at the beginning of the lockdowns when I went out to uh, the grocery store and I took my parents there to a grocery store that's now closed. Um, and I saw people fighting like over basic things. I saw people like trying to rip out each other's hair over celery and grabbing at toilet paper. I had somebody try to test me over 12 packs. And I was like, listen, get the fuck out of here, bro. I came here with it. Like, get the fuck away from me. You really want to get hurt over a 12 pack of toilet paper? And so this, leaving that scenario and having my parents wait in the car while I did the compra really affected me. And so I knew that I had to do something para la comunidad and just in general. Um, So I put together something called the Rebel Army Runs where I started getting these wholesale goods um, and I got them so cheap that I was able to create food packs. And I made like a two week food pack for people. And basically inside we have rice, beans, um, canned milk. We got uh, oatmeal, just a bunch of goodies. And then uh, have uh, inshore and uh, feminine products, diapers, so we just carry stuff in general for elders, but also a lot of single uh, moms come there and we give away probably about uh, 60 to 70 packs every week. And we've been doing this since the beginning of the pandemic. And if people want to reach out to us, we're at Rebel Army Runs. Um, and uh, yeah, they we're, we're I'm going to put the link in the description too, so people any, can get that. Uh, any donations from you guys. I put the first uh, $5,000 in myself. And then literally every dollar that we get goes to getting these goods. And then I pick them up in my car, we make the packs and then we drop them off. And we've worked with several housing projects in New York City. So one was the Grant Houses. The other was Isaac Houses, 
Um, we, we did a program at Drew Hamilton. We did a program at Washington. Um, we also did a program and we have a sustained one in Brooklyn at the Albany Projects. So all the public housing areas that we go to, we announce where we are and you don't have to necessarily be a member of the projects to be there, you're just from the community. You don't have to show any ID or anything like that. You don't have to get your name tagged. You basically just get the food pack. And if you need any ads, any extras or, or additives that we have on the side, you're more than welcome to ask for it. We turn nobody away. And we've been doing this now for two years and we've fed about 9,000 families so far. And I can't wait. Hopefully this summer we'll pass the 10,000 mark um, line and, and we'll, we'll, we'll be uh, in the running. We just got the accreditation for the 501c3. So, you know what I mean? We really appreciate the love and support that we've gotten from people. I wish we could have done it sooner, but it was COVID and things took a long time to do. But, you know, hey, man, this is something I'm very dedicated to. This is something that I've done with my friends throughout the entire pandemic. And I know that the elders in our community, whether they're white, black, Latino, a lot of times they end up taking care of the little kids mm -hmm. because the parents are out working. So we make sure that we get something to them. And I'm gonna say something else. When you go to the projects, a lot of people think, oh, it's just black and brown people. But you know what I see more than anything else? I see people with no kids or whose kids have grown up and gone away that are just there alone. It's yeah. just about old people that are alone. Now, are the majority of them black and Latino in New York City? Yes, but there's lots of white people in the projects, bro. There's yeah. Asian people in the projects. Like, what is wrong with some of y'all motherfuckers, man? Like, <laughs> you gotta you gotta really understand what we're doing here. We're trying to help the people in general, the elderly community in general. And we want to specifically target the individuals that are here in New York. And so we make sure that that the people get what they should and however we can. You know, and we've been up to the Dykeman houses again. That's an area that's predominantly Latino. So you're gonna have a lot more you know, Latino people, probably from the Dominican Republic. Um, there's some people obviously uh, who are African-American up in the Dykeman houses. So yeah, it, it's, it, it, it varies on where we end up in the city, you know? Yeah. I, I, I really appreciate you breaking that down to everyone. And like I said, something that we've um, supported and, and donated to, and we'll continue to do so because I love that program and uh, we'll continue. Like I said, we'll put the link in the description so people can check that out. But yeah, appreciate you, man, because it's more than just, you know, the music and speaking, you know, it's good for people to see. I think sometimes like, OK, this is what tech is actually doing. He's in the community. He's, he's doing programs that are helping people. You know, sometimes it's like that, uh, <laughs> that apostle that, that had to see to, to believe. No, <laughs> so, no, like, yeah. You know, people sometimes <laughs> it's just like they don't they don't get it. I tell people all the time when you talk about revolution, it's not about just running around the jungle with a gun. It's about staying dedicated to your ideals and your ideas. You know, I, I, I know that some people, they want you to, to reflect their views, but I've stayed consistent with mine. I've always been pro-immigrant. I've always been pro-women's rights. I've always been anti-war. I can defend these positions all day long. And I'm comfortable in terms of how I've shown my community um, that we don't just talk about it, we do it. So when I say I support immigrant rights, I've literally walked through the desert of Arizona and, and Southern California to leave water for immigrants. We've raised thousands of dollars for immigrant families. And let's transition now into your music as well, because we scratched the surface at the beginning. Um, but tell us about what you have coming down the pipeline musically. And then with the festivals that you mentioned as well, um, where can you know, people check you out coming in the summer? Well, um, we haven't announced anything yet. So if they want to check me out, it's at... Um, 
Tech Immortal at Instagram and Facebook and Immortal Tech on Twitter. So please um, hit us up. Um, we appreciate all of the conversations and the messages. Um, whereas to the music, I'm kind of in the middle of finishing this last record. Um, I know I've been saying that for a long time, but I'm actually saying <laughs> I didn't want to say um, anything, but... but no, no, no. But, but here's an interesting thing. Besides just the record, I did probably like three or four other songs that I have to release as singles, okay. um, either before or after the record. I'm just, I'm, I've got to Is this the middle passage? Is it the middle yes. passages? Okay. Yes. Wow. Yes. Okay. The artwork is done. You know what I mean? We got all, hey, all you motherfuckers, all my homeboys, everyone who's asking me, you won't ask me about the middle passage. There you go. No, Straight okay. from the man's okay. mouth. Okay. It is coming. <laughs> it is coming. Um, but hopefully it'll come before the next civil war in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I but can't I think tell that's you. What yeah, people miss about the record. That's what people have missed a lot about the music that I've made. Like if you see the cover of Volume One, mm -hmm. it we're, you're talking about a, a revolution inside the United States mm -hmm. where soldiers are forced to kill cops. Then on Volume Two, you have the overthrow of the White House. Right? I'm not trying to be prophetic. Uh, believe me, that's not what I'm aiming for. Right. What I'm aiming for is letting people know that. These things, these tumultuous presidential assassinations, these wars between um, different paramilitary forces, that's not the past of humanity. That's the future. Whereas the Middle Passage shows you not just the past of humanity is slavery, but if we're not careful, the future of humanity is slavery. Oh, by the way, there's slavery going on right now Today. in the world, in Southeast Asia, in, in downtown New York, where people are locked in a basement somewhere making clothes and people don't know about it. Like it, it, it's happening everywhere. And I think that when we talk about the middle passage specifically, we're talking about um, the transfer of wealth because everyone always says the transfer of wealth from the, the, the it means that we're going from, from uh, 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 poor people stealing from rich people as if that's been part of history. That's what I always love about debating with people. And I say, well, if you're against workers' rights and you're, you're so pro-corporation, then tell me all the times in which workers have walked away with trillions of dollars laughing while corporations have been broken to pieces. Or is it usually that corporations run away laughing while the workers stay with nothing? However, the middle passage is different. We're not talking about workers. We're talking about a society that was built on a lie where it it talked about people being equal and equivalent when that really was not the case and going farther that Europeans here knew the long history of African people and did so very deceptively. Um, they understood the history of masonry. I mean, even if you are a mason, one of the degrees of masonry is to read the Quran and to understand the, the, the effective uh, uh, government regiments that existed during that era, the, the, the stuff that preserved all of the Greek works. Like that's another thing that people don't understand. Mm -hmm. All of those Greek philosophers, if it wasn't for Arab libraries, you wouldn't know that any of them exist. There's not a single piece of parchment left from that time with Cicero's name on it or with, with Herodotus or, or, or with any of these people. These are translated things that have existed for years and years and years. And I think, look, we could talk about history all day long and it's one of my favorite subjects, but I think um, specifically when it comes to the Middle Passage, um, I just wanted to show the amount of inhumanity that people can arise from um, and people can hold their head high um, in terms of dignity. And of course, we do talk about 
indigenous genocide in there as that's also a, a, a big part of the creation of the United States. Um, if not one of the found, if not the most foundational part besides slavery, which is really at that point, when you look at it, their justification in that era for the people that weren't speaking about eugenics at that time, which is mm -hmm. a false science, but when they, when they were just simply saying, okay, look, the bottom line is this, like, and, and these are people that are a little bit more, uh, I would say, honest in the 17th and 1800s, when they were like, look, we're just behind Europe. We need this labor um, in order to build an infrastructure for the United States. Otherwise, we'll still be playing catch up when they're done with their war next year. We signed the Monroe Doctrine. So the purpose was lying to a group of people at, by claiming that they were subhuman and therefore using them for the labor that we knew they weren't. We're still doing that now. Today, I mean, yeah. look, I, I think it's 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 sad and disgusting, but it doesesn't make a person woke for trying to talk about these things. It right. makes a person honest. You know, if you don't learn about these things, then you'll be totally ignorant. There's nothing cool about being ignorant, people. There's nothing cool about not knowing shit about where people come from. Again, yeah. rich kids don't fight, just motherfuckers from the dirt. That's it. We got to jump into some Canelo talk as that's the big fight coming up this Saturday. Um, what do you think about just Canelo Alvarez in general? You know, you have the whole contingent that's like he's the best in boxing pound for pound number one. And then you got a lot of detractors, obviously, because of they feel him picking and choosing who he's going to fight. I know you said you kind of chop it up with Vinny Paz every once in a while. I don't know what his thoughts are on Canelo, but there is definitely those two sides of the street that this dude is where he's at because he cherry picks. And then the other is like he could beat anyone. It doesn't matter who. I mean, I think he's got a real um, challenge in, in the form of Dimitri Bivol this Saturday, but I think it's a fight that he should win. First of all, whether people like it or not, whether they want to talk about his boxing ability He's technically the biggest star in boxing. 100%. Right? He has the biggest draw. He has the biggest name. Um, whenever he comes out, he raises the profile of all the people that he's going to fight. You know what I mean? I think that, um, look, you're never going to be successful until you have people that just for whatever reason don't like you or don't want to see you succeed. And I think he's handled that pretty good for the most part. He's been very calm in some of these interviews. You know, as he learns a little bit more English and feels more comfortable speaking, we get some funny anecdotes from him. You know, everything has become a, like a little meme now. Payday. 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 But that's what people are here for, motherfucker. Right. Like, what, what do you think? Niggas ain't boxing for free. Motherfuckers <laughs> don't want to box for free. It's a payday. Of course we want a payday, bro. What's wrong with y'all? But here's the thing. I think that Canelo probably really took that lesson from the Mayweather loss to heart. And I think that, if I could be honest, changed his career. I saw him box so differently after that. He was a much more technical fighter. He's probably looked at that video a hundred fucking times. And for him to say, I've never looked at it, you're lying. No one who has that much dedication of perfection wouldn't be able to see those losses. And and learn something from him. Now he's had other close calls. The the triple, the first, first triple, triple G fight. fight. Oh my, yo, dude, you, you if you go to any place where they have clips of that fight, and look at the comments, they call come after him. There's a there's a couple of other people that gave him a run for his money, um, but I think that 
he's got a pretty good roster coming up now. I think the one person that obviously everyone says, but that I I I know I don't I'm cool with him, but I'm not like best friends. But I'm I'm cool with the brother. I spoke to him. He's a good dude. Um, David Benavidez, mm-hmm. I think, gives him a lot of problems, but also gives a lot of people a lot of problems at 168. I think in what he's doing now, which is going after all the mandatories, right? David Lemieux, the next fight after that, if he can't get the Charlo fight, will be another mandatory. But yeah, he's making it impossible for Canelo not to fight him. I told him, I'm like, when we spoke last, I'm like, look, it's getting ridiculous that the WBC mandates you, number one, for now, what, two, three, four fights in a row? And he's kind of like laughs and he shrugs it off. He's like, what can I do? Like, I just got to keep on knocking, you know, knocking them down. They line them up, I knock them down. And he's young enough, I think, to to be able to do that because eventually, if it's not Charlo, it's got to be Caleb Plant. If it's not at 168, it's going to have to be at 175 because I obviously Benavidez is a big boy and he can move up. He can fill that frame out a little bit. So he's got options. He's exciting. Whether Canelo wants to, to take that challenge, that's when we get into like the the water of like how much did right. he learn from Mayweather? I, I just think whenever I hear people talk about fighters being scared, yeah, like, no, I, hate I think that. that's ridiculous. Yeah, I think listen, if you're fighting in this game, how could you be scared? Like, right. like sure, is something a bigger challenge than another fight? Yes, but scared? I don't think anybody's scared of anything in this situation. No, I they're just thinking, how's it going to affect my money? And right. because of the Canelo, Mayweather effect, it's like, right. and I don't think it should be like this. Like one loss automatically fans are like, oh, he's done. It's like, nah, man, like look at Lomachenko. Look at, you know, that, it goes on and on. You could Let me, let me just say one thing, though. I think it was Ali who said that every time a person has a really good fight, that they leave a little bit of themselves in the ring. And that means they take a little bit less of themselves. Now. Those are some real words of wisdom, and it's the painful truth about CTE and about boxing. I'm sure that Canelo understands, and his doctors, which he probably pays millions of dollars to, understand how much punishment a person can take. Because he's not trying to leave the game slurring and being, like, brain dead. I mean, he wants to leave the game the way he saw a lot of people who have made their money and got out leave. And I think that Canelo just has to know, look... He's probably got a limited amount of fights left. I mean, is he in his prime? Yeah, but he's in the, he's towards the end of his prime. Mm-hmm. He's not like he's not going to step up again and again and again. He's not going for heavyweight. No, he's picking these fights that want to that he wants to be iconic. But he's got to know that there's a certain amount of time that he has left. You know what I mean? Once a person, once a fighter enters their thirties, that that clock is really ticking. You know what I mean? I think that. Yeah. I think he could fight forever. I'm sure he could fight till he's an old man. I don't think he wants to do that, though. I, you want me to be honest with you? I, I think most people, they want to fight until they really start to be able to say, okay, if I keep doing this, I'm going to get brain damage. I'm going to get hurt, you know what I mean, at some point. So I want to be able to get out with as many of my faculties as I can and then show and prove and do the biggest fight. So I mean, 100%. I think it's, it's, and it should it's be his like game that. To lose. It's, it's Canelo's game to lose. He can pick. He could pick anybody to fight, and people are going to tune in. You know, he was going to fight Makabu, who people didn't even know who that was. And right. I think it's sad. I, I, I hate seeing things like that, where people are making fun of, of that guy or trying not to pronounce his name right. First of all, he's a champion. Mm-hmm. Um, second of all, that's that in itself, um, I think, is crazy, jumping a lot of weight classes up and down. And do I think it's good, but a lot of people did see that as a duck. And now... Mm-hmm. I don't think that people see Dimitri Pivol as a duck. I think no, they see him as a fucking monster. And also the fact that, 
You know what I mean? Beating him would mean that the door would be open for him to stay at 168, right? Is he going to come fight Triple G? Or he could stay at 175 to fight the winner of Joseph, Joseph Smith and, and, and Bitter. Better be if. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that would be great. Yeah, and then um, you got to try it undisputed again in another weight class. That's ridiculous, um, especially when you consider who he's fighting. Evol and you know likely better be if he beats Joe Smith. I mean that 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 string of fights, ridiculous. I think I said I think Canelo has a lot more experience than Bevol, mm-hmm. and that's what we'll see in the ring. We'll see a lot more of his ring IQ. Um, sure, I think Bevol is a great boxer. I think he's got raw power. I think if he happens to hit something with. Canelo with something that he's not expecting, he's going to hurt him, but um, he has to hit him. You know what I mean? That's the thing. And we all know that Canelo has a really good chin too. I mean, I, I saw that shot. Everyone goes back to that Danny Jacob yeah. where he took that monster hook and just kind of waved it off. Mm-hmm. But he's smart about taking punches. He turns his face. He turns his chin. Yeah, he, he rolls with slow. the punches very well. Very much so. Yeah. And um, I was just going to say, it, it's crazy because now the reports are coming out of how much PBC had offered Canelo to either fight Errol Spence or David Benavidez plus Charlo, uh, which is in, you know, almost over a hundred million dollars, but it's like, regardless of who he fights. And I think going back to your point, he's done a good job of uh, being able to, you know, block the negative part out because no matter who he fights, people are going to come back and be like, well, you ducked such and such. Imagine for a moment that he did take the Spence fight. They're going to say, Oh, He's a weight bully. He fought a guy that's coming up from 147, you know, and then he doesn't fight him. And it's like, oh, he's ducking one of the best fighters in the world. So he's in a lose-lose situation in terms of who he fights. But I think he's doing a good job of trying to maximize, um, you know, how much he can make on an event and also entertaining the the paying customer because these aren't gimme fights. Now, I hope he doesn't fight Triple G in September because my man Golovkin did not look uh, his best against Murata. Obviously, he can still compete, but I just think Canelo at this level, that's not a fight that we need to see. I would much rather see Canelo at 175, maybe a challenge like we were mentioning, the, the winner of the better be Evan Smith fight. I think that would be great, but I think that there's so much invested in the Canelo fight yeah. against Triple G yep. that a lot of people feel like, you know what I mean, the first one was a draw gimme, you know what I mean? It was the same. I don't know if it was the same judge from the Mayweather fight that gave him a split decision, which I don't like. <laughs> no, nah, the, the, the Mayweather fight was CJ Ross. The Triple G fight was Adelaide Bird. Adelaide uh, Bird. Yeah, Adelaide Bird. I was there, man. I was I was there. I watched it live. My two eyes do not deceive me, man. Triple G won that fight. I will hold on to that until I die. But, uh, man, too much time has passed. But, yeah, I think he's put himself in the position. And, and it's obviously going to be a huge money fight regardless because people, like you said, are going to tune in. doesn't matter who Canelo fights. And there's already that built-in animosity um, and back and forth that they've had in the first two fights. Just want to say mad love to the fans that are watching out there and the supporters. I appreciate you. Take care. This Immortal Technique, you know what it is. Thank you for listening to the RBR Recap. Make sure to follow us on social media at RBR Recap and visit RBRRecap.com for the latest episodes.